0: full is worry-free. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. The fact that we need repeated encouragement to pray doesn't make us bad Christians. Apparently, the first century crew needed the same kind of teaching and stirring up. Then, all the way to now, there seems to be a relationship between someone's time in prayer and his or her effectiveness for the kingdom. Jim will give us some practical suggestions as he goes through this sermon. The new addition to our People of God series is called The People of God Should Pray Hard. These are one-liners. These have been published on
1: church bullet boards outside for the community to read. Some of them are quite clever. If you can't see the bright side, polish the dull side. Isn't that neat? Good advice. Kind words make great echoes. Kind words Make great echoes. Life is short. Pray hard. Pray hard. That's what we're talking about tonight. In your Bible, in Colossians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is distinguishing another one of those marvelous qualities of the children of God. When our neighbors and friends come to visit us in our worship services, they should distinguish us, or we should distinguish ourselves. As being the people of God, and there's some things they have a right to expect of us. One of those things is that we, as the people of God, are dependent upon God. That dependence upon God should be reflected in a number of activities that should be obvious to them. Paul cites them for us Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer or in praying. It's the act of praying that we're to continue in earnestly. Being vigilant in it, in prayers ministry, with thanksgiving. There are three characteristics in that verse that the Apostle Paul says, our neighbors have a right to expect to see in us. They should leave our services with their minds fully convinced that we are a praying people that we devote energy to this matter of prayer. Prayer isn't just a lip service thing. Secondly, that we are a vigilant people, that we're on our toes, we're alert. There's a sense of danger. There's a sense of being sharp and watching and being alert. We are not a people who are at ease and relaxed and overconfident. Thirdly, thanksgiving. They should see in us a spirit of thanksgiving. We are thankful people. Why? Because we recognize that everything that we receive, every good and perfect gift comes down to the Father of light. It's a gift. If it's good, it's a gift. If it's a good gift, it's because it comes from a good God. And the wisest among us, the mature among us, have learned that everything that comes into our lives is a part of God's working all things together with the target of goodness, goodness. God works all things together for good, for good. So even if the condition is unpleasant, and even the circumstance is one that strains your faith, the mature believer and the believing community should have a, an atmosphere of thanksgiving. We are a grateful people because we confess our dependence upon God. We know we're dependent upon Him. And we not only know that we're dependent upon Him, but we know that His intent and His promise is to do all things good on our behalf. So we are willingly dependent, and they should see that in the gratitude with which we address God in song, with which we speak of God in our conversations. Our gratitude, our thanksgiving should express itself in the way we give, thanksgiving, and we should should mark ourselves as being people who are confident that our resource is greater than our need. Our resource is greater than our need. If you hold your finger here in the book of Colossians chapter four for just a minute and turn back to the book of Philippians chapter four and note how the Apostle Paul, it's just one page over for me, Philippians chapter four, how the Apostle Paul puts together this matter of prayer and peace. Prayer and peace. He says that we are to, verse four, Philippians 4.4, 4, to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice is a form of thanksgiving. Let your gentleness be known to all men, the Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will garrison your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now notice the peace is a byproduct of prayer. And the prayer that produces the peace is in an atmosphere of thanksgiving. Now, what our neighbors should see is that we are truly dependent upon God. And that dependency expresses itself in our taking our burdens and cares, our stresses, our needs, our problems, taking all of these things to God in prayer. And as we are, as we are prayer Full, we will be worry-free. Anxiety, worry, cannot occupy the same heart and mind that is focused on God and taking our needs to God. That produces or that is evident in a thankful spirit. So I go to God with everything that concerns me, I am confident that God knows all about it and has already planned the resources to meet those needs. As a result, I have peace in my heart and thanksgiving in my life. See, See how it works together. Perhaps many of us suffer from stresses and anxieties, and we, we, we suffer from great personal nervousness and great personal tension and stress because we do not take everything to God in prayer. And you can't be anxious and thanksgiving at the same time. Those two won't occupy the same space. These three things then. Prayer, praying, which is a form of dependence upon God, talking to God. Being alert, watchful, attentive. And being thankful. Our neighbors should leave our services impressed that we are dependent upon God. So we ask Him, so we are alert, perceptive about what's going on around us. Our prayer doesn't make us lackadaisical. If anything, it sharpens our focus. And we should be
0: thankful.
1: We dwelt mostly yesterday with that first part about giving energy to prayer. Paul is very gracious by way of review. He doesn't say start praying, he says continue praying. Paul knew that the Colossians were a praying people and he wants them to continue to do it, but he wants them to do it earnestly. And the word there means with energy, it means with vigor, it means with strategic intent. It means to put it in your agenda. Don't know about you, but uh, if you come and ask me, could we have lunch together, I'll probably say, I'd love to do that because I really would. And you walk away and think that uh, then you got lunch with me, eh, nah. But if you come and say, could we have lunch? And I say, why, yeah, let's do that. Wait a minute, I'll get my day timer and we'll settle on a date. Now you know I'm serious, see. I have earnestly pursued your invitation to lunch. I've taken it seriously. I've put it in my agenda. I've blocked out time for it. I have arranged my expectation to the degree that I can by planning to participate in lunch with you. Now, most of us will say, oh, I need to pray more. Show me on your daytime schedule where you have time set aside for prayer. Now, I'm not asking that you do that to me. I'm simply using that as as a way to say that continuing earnestly means you write it in your schedule. It means you pursue it with energy. You plan to do it. You plan to pray. And prayer requires energy. It requires uh, alertness. It requires vigor. Many of us uh, will. Uh, Leave our praying until we tumble into bed at night, exhausted, overwhelmed, just wrung. We, we just wrung out, and then that last gasp just before we slip off to the land of nod, we will pray. And our prayer used to go something like this: "Father, I thank you that today." You were, some of us have learned that if you wake up in the middle of the night and you're wide awake and, and you want to go back to sleep, what's the smartest thing you can do? Pray, yeah, start praying. Why? The devil. <laughs> the devil puts you back to sleep, that may be true. A part of it is a very, a very, it's the fulfillment of biblical promise that if we pray to God, what happens to our hearts? Peace enters our hearts. As we give to God our prayers, God fills our hearts with his peace. As we give to God those things that make us anxious, God gives us rest, and rest and peace will combine in a relaxed mind and heart, and you will very quickly slip back into sleep. So, in the very nature of praying, there's a connection between giving over my anxieties, my worries to God, and His Spirit ministering peace and assurance to my heart and bringing relaxation and comfort to my spirit, so you gotta work at it. Some of the greatest saints of God never pray, never pray lying down, and they never pray kneeling, they pray standing or walking. Some years ago I took a course on salesmanship. The guy that was teaching the course was born again, fellow, And uh, he was trying to teach us how to, how to get the sale. And one of the tidbits that I've never forgotten was, never sit at your desk and talk on the telephone. This was his, his bit. When the telephone rings and you answer it, stand up. You'll be more alert, it will reflect itself in your voice, in your attitude, in your manner. You will engage the person, the conversation more quickly, you will make a decision if that's required, you'll be more brief in your conversation, your telephone call will be far more effective if you stand up while you're talking on the phone. And by the way, you won't go to sleep. I have, haven't you? You, you get on some of those long phone calls and the person goes on and on and on and on, and it's not long until you missed three sentences. You kind of nodded off. So prayer requires energy, that's the point. If we're gonna continue, earnestly in prayer it means strategically planning it it means engaging with energy it means doing what you need to do to counteract that peace of god that deep sense of well-being that god puts in your heart and in your spirit when you honestly pray okay now pray earnestly yesterday we uh, we showed you how that's what paul does in chapter one. First thing paul says is when i first heard about your faith i started praying for you in verse 8 of chapter 1, Paul says, When I heard about that particular need, I prayed. See? So, so Paul himself was a prayer. And he also confesses in verses 3 and 4 that he, Paul, in his ministry, was dependent upon the prayers of others. See how he says it there? Colossians chapter 3 and verse 3. Meanwhile, he says, Praying. And that can be translated, as you're in this business of praying, Colossians 4, 3, as you're in this business of praying, pray also for us, for us, Paul, Timothy, the apostles, that God would open to us a door for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to. Notice both the opportunity, the door of opening is something God has to do, and that I may make it manifest. That is, in my presentation of the gospel, I am as dependent upon God as I am that God will create the opportunity in the first place. See that? Can you see that? So this is Paul saying that prayer is powerful. That he not only did it, but he was dependent upon it. Then we noted, too, in in chapter 4, by way of review, chapter 4 and verse 12, that Epaphras who was the founding pastor, the evangelist pastor of this church in Colossae, he, according to Paul, verse 12, he always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers. It reminded today, as I was thinking about this opportunity to share tonight, that in Acts chapter 6, we learned that the apostles directed the congregation to elect seven, I call them proto-elders. Some want to call them deacons. I think they're far, their, their role is, and significance is far more than what we tend to think of when we use the word deacons. They had a very elevated, very responsible position in that early church. Just tremendously significant. But, but the passage goes on to say that the apostles were going to not be distracted by this ministry that these seven were responsible for, the widows and their daily care, the apostles were not going to be sidetracked managing that ministry so that the apostles could give themselves daily to the ministry of the word and prayer, and prayer. Epaphras was a man who knew the value of laboring fervently in prayer. When we pray, God demonstrates what he can do. When we work, we demonstrate what we can do. When we work without praying, we demonstrate the limitation of our own flesh and often experience frustration and failure because we cannot do what only God can do. Prayer. Prayer. It's a powerful ministry. It's an incredible thing. Think of it. God Almighty invites you to conference with him at your convenience, within your schedule, based upon your needs. That's incredible. Listening to some talk radio today, does that aggravate you? They were talking about two politicians who were complaining that during their time, their hour with the president, the president had not been proactive. Both were complaining that the president pretty much sat there and listened to them talk. I would love to have an hour with the president. And if he was willing to listen to me talk, I would think that was a compliment. I would be more than delighted by that. But these were offended. Well, God invites us to take an hour of his time anytime you want to and talk to him. And he promises that he'll not only listen to you, but he will respond to your conversation as you speak. That God himself will do things inside of you and things outside of you As he processes the concerns of your heart. God then goes on to say that he will respond. That he won't leave you hanging out there on a limb. But he will respond. Not only what he does in you and around you. But God will work very deliberately and very directly with the things that you ask. He will take those things upon his heart. Isn't it? Isn't it Peter? I think it's 1 Peter chapter 5, where Peter says, Casting all your care upon him. And the King James says, For he careth for you. That's a very anemic translation. What the, what the most literal rendering of that phrase would be something like this Casting all your care upon God, because God has made you the object of his very special concern. Wow. So, brothers, sisters, continue earnestly in prayer. The most effective time of your 24-7 is the time you spend in prayer. I hate cleaning my shower stall. I just flat out, plain hate it, just hate it. So I have taken a different route. I discovered some time ago uh, a cleaner called Clean Shower or Shower Clean. And when I'm finished my shower, all I have to do is pick that up and just put a mist on the shower walls. And that stuff, will eat all those little bad boogers and destroy all that stuff. And somehow or another, and I don't know how it works, but somehow or another, my shower stall stays clean. That is my dependence upon something other than my elbow grease to keep my shower stall clean. And Paul is trying to tell us and the Colossian Christians that if if in the shower of your life, in the things you are already doing, if you'll take those moments to pray, to lift those concerns to God, you won't have to work nearly as hard down the road. And the circumstances around you will be cleaner and the way that you walk will be smoother. And the inner spirit that you experience will be more peaceful, more confident because of prayer, because of prayer. I like Paul Harvey. <laughs> and every now and then he comes through with a real gem. If I were the devil, by Paul Harvey, maybe you heard him do this. Let me excerpt from his marvelous little speech, a couple of appropriate phrases. If I were the devil, I would gain control of the most powerful nation in the world. I would delude the minds of its citizens into thinking that the blessings had come from man's effort instead of God's blessings. I would convince people that character is not an issue when it comes to leadership. I would make it legal to kill unborn babies. I would cheapen human life as much as possible so that the life of animals are valued more than the lives of human beings. I would remove God out of the schools where even the mention of his name would become grounds for a lawsuit. Oh, I would make divorce acceptable and easy, even fashionable. Because if the family crumbles, so does the nation. I would compel people and excite them to express their most depraved fantasies on canvas and movie screens and then call it art. I would convince the people that right and wrong are determined by a few who call themselves authorities and refer to their agenda as politically correct. I would persuade people that churches are irrelevant and out of date, and the Bible is for the naïve. I would dull the minds of Christians and make them believe that prayer is not important, that faithfulness and obedience are optional. Hmm. I guess if I were the devil, I would leave things pretty much the way they are. Good day.
0: In the roughly two decades since this sermon was preached, a lot of people have become familiar with that Paul Harvey piece, If I Were the Devil. It has become more relevant and ominous over time. Satan surely doesn't want us to pray. Jim has more thoughts on the subject, The People of God Should Pray Hard, so please come back on Thursday and Friday. The CD of The Complete Message is available for your gift of $7 or more. All 17 messages in the set can be yours on CD for an offering of $59 or more. I'll tell you where you can order those in just a second. But on the topic of prayer, we're thankful to have people praying for Right Start and also for those who give to support the ministry. We're grateful, too, for all those who listen. God may call some of you to a deeper involvement in the future. But we need all of you, so thank you. Here are some good ways to reach us. Our mailing address is Right Start, P.O. Box 437-437. Worthington, Ohio, 43085 USA. Find us on the website, rightstartradio.org. You can donate there. It's easy as well as secure. And on the site, we give you access to years of ministry content from Pastor Jim. You can play Right Start programs there or play or download Jim's sermons without the broadcast breaks. And you can bring the podcast to you automatically by subscribing on iTunes. Just go to that website, rightstartradio.org. Rightstartradio.org. Dot org. And you can call us at 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. Talking it over with our fathers shouldn't be a last resort. It should be a lifestyle, but it won't necessarily become easy. Please join us for more on Thursday's Right Start.